Aloha. Hey, this is Travis. Just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Here at Shorebrook, we're coming up to four years of ministry this July. Four years ago, a few families came out to Hawaii to plant this church, and by God's grace, we've seen transformation, church growth, people being baptized, and that's because of the partnership of the local church and those of you who have financially partnered with us. If you would feel led to support financially the work of the gospel of God being spread here in Kona and beyond, in addition to your tithe to your local church, you can go and give online at shorebreakchurch.com. But we just want you to continue to pray for us, continue to pray that the gospel would be spread and that people would come to know Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Continue to share it with other people. Grace and peace be with you. Would you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark? Aloha to you, by the way. How's it? My name's Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and um, one of four pastors in total, and, and I'm, I'm the lead pastor over teaching here. Um, it's, it's my humble um, and difficult task to, um, and thankful task to be able to work our way through the scriptures as a people together. The reason why I have you turn to the Gospel of Mark is so that we're not gathering to hear the opinion of Travis or any other pastor for that matter. We're actually here to see what God has said and God has spoken. And we believe that everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness is not found in the opinions of man, is not found in crafty words, is not even found in the words that come out of my mouth, but that as we preach the Gospel, that, that God the Holy Spirit would breathe life through His Word. And so that's what we're trying to do. And, and that's why we make our way through books of the Bible right now, the Gospel of Mark. That you and I would approach the Gospel of Mark and see the whole Gospel. That we would not just kind of pick and choose and cherry pick things of the Bible that we like and talk about them, but that we make our way, we plow through the verses and the text that God has inspired and written before us so that we would grow and uh, know Jesus more deeply, love him more greatly, and uh, understand just the reality of who we are in light of, of God. And, and I love Mark. His writing style fits that so well, because Mark is like this, the, he's, his name is John Mark, the author who wrote this gospel. He's like the shorthand version of, of the other gospels. Mark is the first gospel written before uh, its other counterparts, Matthew, uh, Luke, and John. Mark is a straight shooter, you could say. Um, he's to the point. He doesn't mince his words. He goes from one thing to another thing to another thing, just, just like that. You know, when you, you go to a restaurant and they're like trying to, you know, make you feel good. So while you're waiting, they, they bring you bread and, and they take care of you. And, and that's really nice when they bring you bread. And then they maybe, hey, would you like a poo-poo? And what, what can we get for you? And then they bring you that. And then, then like Mark's like, here's the meal, go for it. Just, just go. Like none of this light stuff, he just puts in front of you for us to devour. And that's what we're going to do. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to see what God has said. Getting right to the main course, verse 40 of Mark chapter 1. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling down, kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. 
And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word. God, you promised to us that you would send us a helper. And God, you have sent us that helper, and the helper is the Holy Spirit. God, I need help to faithfully preach your word, and we need help to faithfully listen to your word. This is an act of worship, that we worship you and that we come to the scriptures believing they are true. God, bring to us remembrance of these things. Would your Holy Spirit shine your light in our souls, softening the areas that have grown callous, bringing comfort and encouragement where it is needed to shape us and to mold us into the image of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. You can be seated. What moves you to get things done? There could be a thousand different motivations, yeah? I mean, what, what moves you to get things done to accomplish certain things? Like, if you're trying to save for that car you've always been wanting, maybe you'll be moved to pick up a second job. I really want to get that car, so I'm going to pick up the second job. Or maybe you want to pay off debt. Or um, maybe, maybe you're moved to save up and get an extra job so that you can buy a house or Maybe, like I know some, and that, that's okay, but we've been moved to go to church. We're moved to go to church because we have either have a family or we've started a family, and we're looking at our own ohana and our own lives. We're like, I'm kind of a mess as it is. I think we should start going to the church so that my kids don't make the same mistakes and walk down the same paths that I did, hoping that somehow maybe church in one way or another would maybe help us or, or fix us. Come on, right? A little bit, Maybe. Or we pick up a self-help book. or There, there are things that move us, that, that motivate, motivate us, that cause us to do or to, to act. And if we look with a microscope of what motivates us, many times there is often a selfish or hidden agenda somewhere in there. Who can fully know the motives and the desires of our own heart? Our heart is desperately wicked. Right? So even in our own motivations, even for my life, I often find that I don't understand why I am moved to do certain things in my life because I don't even understand my own motivations, let alone other people's motivations. In fact, I admit that I do certain things because I have to, not necessarily always because I want to or I desire to. The unfolding of this story that we have here in Mark, verses 40 to verses 45, 
show us why Jesus is moved. Like, what motivates Jesus? A lot of times we get caught up in the doing and in the acting of Jesus and miss the motivation of Jesus in what he does. But what I love about what we see, and as we get to look at this text and talk about this story about why Jesus does and acts, it's anything but selfish, unlike me. I wanted us to draw our attention to this three-word phrase that reveals the heart of our servant Savior in verse 41. Then we'll back up and make our way through this text. But verse 41, we read this three-phrase statement, moved with pity. This diseased man, he comes up to Jesus And we read that as this man approaches Jesus with his disease, Jesus is moved with pity. Maybe your translation says moved with compassion. That's, that's a, another good way to translate that statement there. This is something, just so you know, that is going to become very common in Jesus' ministry that he is going to be moved with compassion. He is going to be moved with pity. But I, I want us just to back up for a second here and just to, to think about God. To think about Jesus. To think about, like, guys, God is sovereign. He knows all things. He holds all things together he is aware of everything. He sees all things. And thinking about those attributes of God, he could have so easily not been moved within this story. Like how many people has Jesus healed up to this point? He's already cast out demons. He pretty much healed half of of Galilee, right, where Peter's house is next to the synagogue, the whole town. I mean, tons of people. He's done this already time and time again. He's healed thousands. This was not just another unique story to him, or was it? See, these things were not unique to Jesus. This was, this was a normative thing for Jesus to have encounters like this. Um, my dad, for 33 years, he was a, a firefighter and um, served well and retired with dignity. And um, growing up as a firefighter's son, you know, some of you have asked me, hey, are, so are you a pastor's kid? Is that why you're in ministry? It's like, no, I'm a pyro kid. I can blow stuff up, but I don't know anything about ministry. That's my background. And, uh, and it's true. Firemen are, are pyros at heart. It's actually really funny. My dad taught me well. And so, um, but being a firefighter, uh, the son of a firefighter, I, for a while in high school, seriously considered being a firefighter. And so I got to go on these things called ride-alongs, which is where, um, and I went on quite, a, I went on many of them, which meant I got to ride on the engine and go to all the calls for the daytime of their shift. And uh, because they worked a 24-hour shift, I wasn't, didn't stay at night, but would be exposed to many things that a majority of people wouldn't be exposed to, let alone a teenager. 
And so I got to see a lot of unique things, but I, I remember vividly um, going on a call, and uh, it was a lady who was in her mid to late 30s who was in full cardiac arrest. She just fell down, like, in the bank. Her husband was there, and children are just weeping as she's foaming at the mouth, dying. Like, actually, she was, she was pretty much dead when we got there. And so they pull out the defibrillators, and they're performing CPR, and they're doing everything they can to save her life. And I just hear the children um, and the husband just, like, weeping behind in this incident. I'm like, dude, this is, this is like intense. And so one of the firemen came over and, and to, he can s- probably saw the look on my face and was like, hey, Travis, just so you know, she's, uh, she's D-E-D. I'm like, well, what's D-E-D? He's like, dead. I'm like, it's not D- Okay, whatever, right? And he obviously tried to, to lighten the moment for me a little bit. And I was so confused, and, and he wasn't trying to be irreverent in any way, but he has clearly seen this happen hundreds of times, and this was not new to him, but him seeing it was new to me. It was a bit, it was honestly a bit more traumatizing to me to see, and, um, and, and it was crazy. So like, I just began praying, and um, not because of my prayers, I, I just think because God is fully sovereign. Maybe, but she ends up like somewhat recovering and then one of the other firefighters says she's probably going to be a vegetable, fully recovered, amazing. That's a whole other story, but um, that's, that's not the point. Um, what was tragic to me in the moment was normative for the firefighter. Not, not that he had any irreverence toward the situation. He absolutely had reverence toward the situation, but something like this For me, seeing it for the first time, no doubt is much different than seeing it for the hundredth time. No less important, yet somehow strangely normative. Jesus could have so not easily been moved by this leper. Leprosy was no new thing for him. In fact, he was there with God when God the Father was speaking the law in Leviticus, telling God's people what to do with lepers. From eternity, God saw Jesus, saw the timeline of humanity. He was well aware of the disease of leprosy. It was nothing new to him. In fact, it was nothing new to his ministry up to this point. He's already healed hundreds of thousands of people, casting out demons. Normative for God to see this, normative for Jesus to see these things. Yet Mark is showing us that this King, that this God, that this Jesus, he is not moved with reluctancy. He is not moved out of obligation or frustration. Jesus is moved with pity and compassion. Normative, sure, but no less important. This word in the original language, pity or compassion, um, in the original language it means to, to feel in one's bowels. Now, in our context today, that means something very different. You had too much chili and rice yesterday, you feel it in your bowels today, you know what I'm saying, right? That's not what was happening then. The Back then, um, people historically believed that the bowels was the place uh, of the holding place of emotion, right? So if you had emotions, they came from your bowels, and so out of the bowels came emotions like pity and compassion. Now, we can kind of make fun. Oh, that's funny. They, they use bowels today. We do the same thing today, but wh- where is our place of emotion today? The heart, 
heart. For them it was bowels, for us it's the heart. So what then is compassion? If it's this intense feeling that you, you sense in your inner being that, that affects you, that, that causes uh, in you an emotional thing called empathy of seeing in other people, well, it's pity or compassion is feeling someone else's pain in your heart. Compassion is feeling someone else's pain in your inner being. And here is what we see. That Jesus is deeply, intensely experiencing the personal pain of this man's suffering. That's how he is moved. That's how he is motivated. He's not motivated out of selfish ambition or out of frustration or out of angst. He is moved with compassion. Jesus feels this man's pain in his inner being, in his heart, in his bowels. What does this show us about Jesus? Listen to me. Jesus is not removed or detached from your pain or circumstances. Guys, Jesus, he's not removed or detached from the pains of fallen humanity. You have a horrible marriage? Jesus is not detached from that pain. You have a children, you have children or a child who is not following the Lord and it's breaking your heart every day? He has pity. Not like pity, like we think, oh, little child, I have pity on you, and you like smack him on top of the head in like a demeaning sense. That's, that's not, pity is like entering into their space. Jesus enters into the pain of humanity, and he feels it in his bowels, in his heart. He is emotionally affected by this man's state of being, and he is affected by maybe the loneliness that haunts you every morning you wake up because you have no one by your side. Maybe you've had horrible sins that have been committed against you. And you've experienced these sins that have been committed against you. Yet, yet here comes Jesus and he is able to have pity and have compassion in your place of pain. Or how about this? Not just other sins of other people. How about your own sin? Jesus is able to enter into your space. He is able to enter into your sin. Jesus is willing to move into the mess of our life because he is compassionate. And Jesus does not approach the mess of your life with hostility or obligation, but with pity and compassion. You guys, I think we fail to realize so often, even as Christians, that Jesus has compassion. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. Why? Because of stories like this. We see this unravel in the life of this diseased man, the compassion. Let's go back, verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling 
said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. A leper. Listen, maybe, maybe, maybe some of us are in denial that our life is a royal mess. Maybe we're like, no, my life is all together. I kind of got it. But, but then those of us who are really honest with ourselves, we admit our life is, is it, my life is a mess. <laughs> it's a royal mess. Listen, lepers pretty much had it worse than anybody. Like, you think you have it bad? Think again. Lepers, they had it bad. Leprosy was a horrible flesh-eating disease that became the death sentence to its victims. At this time, it was one of the worst things that could, seriously, one of the worst things that could happen to you because um, whenever a leper was around others, uh, especially like in, a, in a, like walking or traveling on a road or kind of in a city area, he would have to walk through that area and say, unclean, unclean. He'd have to yell unclean. And people who were surrounding him would almost like have this like force field bubble around him and stay away from him because they didn't want to catch this contagious disease that, that this person had, leprosy. And it was contagious. So a leper, guys, was not just required to walk around yelling unclean, they had to live outside the camp according to Leviticus 13. They were not able to dwell in community with people. To be a leper was to be in isolation. To be a leper was to be in constant humility. To be a leper was to be a social outcast, to be a leper was to be even physically disfigured because of your central nervous system would begin to eat within itself. You know that, that people would actually like lose a hand and not even realize it from an injury because they had leprosy. Social outcast, physically disfigured, ultimate rejects. Oh, and if the life of a leper wasn't difficult enough for chili and incurable disease. And we don't know a lot about this leper told in this story here, but we do know that he kneeled down before Jesus, begging Jesus, imploring Jesus to make him well, to make him clean, for he was unclean because of his leprosy. No doubt this man had heard of the incredible things Jesus has done, and he's thinking in his mind, surely if Jesus can do all these amazing, wonderful things, maybe Jesus can help me. And he says to Jesus, if you are willing. And Jesus sees this outcast, disfigured reject, and he doesn't just speak to this man. He does the unthinkable. What is the unthinkable thing that Jesus does to this man? Look at verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Something this man has not experienced in a very long time. And he said to him, Jesus did, I will be clean. A lot of times when we read the Bible, we can place ourselves in the position of the hero. That's the wrong way to read the Bible because we aren't the hero, are we? When in doubt, put yourself in the shoes of the needy. 
Leprosy is a biblical metaphor or picture of sin. Of our own sin. See, it's, it's always more than a skin-deep issue, isn't it? In fact, leprosy was not just a flesh-eating disease on the outside. It also ate your core internal organs. Leprosy speaks of the uncleanness of our heart. And if we are going to come to Jesus with our life, we must realize, like this leper, that we are unclean. All of us have contracted a disease called sin, and this disease called sin is incurable. So let me ask you, this is... How do you see yourself? Do we see ourselves as clean or do we see ourselves as unclean in need of being cleansed? I think sometimes we live in denial. Some of us. Some of us see it. Some of us don't. Like my friend, years ago when we were hanging out, a group of us Christians used to get together with some of our uh, non-believing friends. And we would go out, and one of our guys, and we, we'd always prank each other. And, um, but one of the guys came out of the bathroom, probably had too much to drink, came out of the bathroom. Um, we're getting ready to leave. We got our tab and, and has, like, toilet paper. He managed to pull up his pants, mostly, and, and had toilet paper hanging out of his, like, trailing behind him. It was, really, it was actually really funny. And so we laughed at first, and we're like, hey, man, this is actually not a prank. This is, this, but, like, you have toilet paper hanging out of you. He's like, oh, whatever, man, whatever. And like, no, dude, seriously, like, you need to see, look at yourself. Just like, no. And he, he would not look at himself. And so we said bye, and, and he went on his way in the mall with toilet paper hanging out behind him. It's like, bro, to, to your own demise, to your own blindness. May, may. See, everyone else saw his mess but him. And oftentimes, everyone else sees our own mess but our, ourselves. But are we willing to acknowledge that, that we've made a mess of what is our life? Do we see our need to be clean or are we blinded by our own morality? This leper fully understood his own desperation. And I want us to understand our own desperation that we are truly unclean. You know what's only a worse thing than having a disease? Is having a disease and not acknowledging it. Is being unclean and not even realizing it. We cannot heal ourselves. We do not have the power to heal ourselves of the disease of sin, of leprosy, because we've all contracted. We can't do it on our own. We are spiritual outcasts. We are rejects. We have been disfigured by our own sin. And this disease we've contracted, guys, you need to hear me, it's terminal. James 1 tells us for each person, is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires, verse 15, then desire, when it is conceived, gives to birth, and when it is full grown, brings forth 
death. It's terminal, this disease of sin. And like leprosy, apart from the touch of Jesus, we can never be healed. There is nothing I can do to heal myself. Jesus, because he cares about the effects of sin, I want you to see it, is going to do something about it. He's going to be moved by it. Look, look at verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, and, and, and his question, are you willing to make me clean? Jesus says, I will. I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. Jesus touches him and declares, I am willing to heal you. Be clean. Do you guys see what's happening here? For many days of this leper's life, he went around yelling, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, stay away from me, I'm unclean. And now Jesus says to him, be clean, and he is cleansed. Maybe the banner over your life before you became a Christian was, in fact, we know it was, not maybe, unclean, unclean, unclean. And the result of Jesus' gracious healing touch toward our lives, Jesus declares over our lives, which we can never do for ourselves, be clean. I asked you earlier, how do you view yourself? That is a sobering question, right? And we should see ourselves as unclean. But now I want to ask you, how does Jesus see you in light of you being born again, redeemed by and purchased by his blood? How does he see you? Clean. Christian, you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He no longer sees your sin. He looks at you and the mess that is you and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Be clean. Moved with pity, dealing with the effects of sin, Jesus declares you're clean. And we are. The banner over our life was once unclean, and Jesus, our Savior, says be clean. Guys, instead of fighting the disease of sin on our own, we implore Jesus, believing it is only him who can make us clean. In Jesus, you can be a new creation. And listen, maybe horrible things you have done haunt you every day. Or maybe disgusting sins have been committed against you, or both. Jesus' holiness overpowers our uncleanness. Jesus' holiness overtakes the uncleanliness of our life. Have faith and believe he can cleanse you. Verse 45, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing. To anyone, but go and show yourself 
to the priest to offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, a proof for them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was in, out, in a desolate pla- out in desolate places. Again, yes, he's out in desolate places again. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Like the leper of this story, those of us who have experienced the gracious healing touch of our Savior are so elated by joy, we have to tell others. Talking freely about the encounter that we have with this contagiously clean man. You see, what's interesting here is for Jesus to touch a leper was against the law in Leviticus because to touch a leper meant that you became unclean. But Jesus didn't break the law, did he? Because when Jesus touches the man, Jesus does not contract leprosy. The leper contracts the cleanliness of Jesus. See the gospel unfolding here? Jesus' cleanliness is more contagious than the disease of sin the way have willfully and by original sin have entered into. He's better. And I love what happens here. Jesus sternly tells him, don't go and tell everybody. My, my time is not now. I, 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 the cross is coming. I see it. But if you go out and tell everybody, you're going to accelerate this. And so just can you shut your mouth? In fact, we read that word sternly there. That actually is a word like of Jesus breathing through his nostrils. Like almost like he has compassion. And now he's like breathing through his nostrils in frustration. Don't tell anybody. And as Jesus is saying, don't tell anybody, he's pretty much already taken a selfie and uploaded it online for everyone to see, right? That's why Jesus probably sternly told him this. Just shut your mouth. And the guy's like freely telling everybody, guess what Jesus did? And isn't that how it is so often we experience the grace of God and then we turn and right away we sin? which goes to show even after us being clean, we always are in desperate need of Jesus to constantly be cleansing us. Not because we weren't saved before, but because we need to draw near and be close with Jesus. So Jesus says, obey Levitical law, show yourself to the priests for proof, he says. Prove it. And um, while this man, guys, is restored back into community. Now Jesus is forced to be back in desolate places. Jesus heals this man, and this man is restored, and now is, goes back into community. Now Jesus is, trades places with him, and now is living in desolate places. Jesus substituted him himself, verse 45, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. This is a picture of the cross of Christ. The substitutionary atonement that is the foreshadowing of what is to come. That he who knew no sin 
would become sin so that we would have the righteousness of God. Jesus is moved with compassion toward you. There is nothing so unclean in your life, Jesus isn't willing to touch you and to give you his grace and heal. In Jesus, and only by Jesus, can we be completely healed of our incurable disease, otherwise of sin. Have faith and trust in this Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I just think of my own life and I am such a mess. Things that I've done, things that I've said, wish I could take back the people that I've hurt, the sins that have been committed against me and the horrible things I have committed in my sins against you, God. Father, we come to you because you are a good father. With all of our life, with all of our disease, God, would you embrace us? Cleanse us according to your compassion and grace. We need your life given to us. And Father God, you have made that possible through your son, Jesus. That at the expense of Jesus, we experience healing. So as we're praying in this moment, if you're a Christian, you just need that redemptive reminder of God's grace toward you. Jesus says you were clean. If you are not a Christian, the only thing worse than contracting the disease of sin is to not see that you have it and not come to the one who can cleanse you. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.